0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, the liturgical year ends with the Feast of Christ the King. That's our feast for today. I just think, you know, in a liturgical procession, the most important figure comes last. So in a certain way, a certain way, this most important feast comes at the end. Now, obviously, Christmas, Easter are very important feasts. But Christ the King is naming something of central importance to our faith. Namely, that Jesus really is the Lord of our lives. He's the king of the totality of your life. This feast signals that we should belong so utterly to him that we can say with St. Paul, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, let me say something kind of bluntly to you. If we say anything else, anything less than that, we are horsing around with Christianity and not really living it. If we pay lip service to Jesus, but don't submit completely to him, we're Fooling around with Christianity and not taking it seriously. If we pay attention to Christ for a few minutes every Sunday, if we treat him as a harmless symbol, if we pretend he's just one religious figure among many, he's just another intriguing philosopher, then we are playing around with Christianity. We are not treating Christ as king. If we let him into only one or two rooms of the house, and not every room, he isn't our king. Think of that image from C.S. Lewis. A lot of us will receive Christ in the drawing room of our lives. We'll let him into a couple of the formal rooms but not into every room where we actually live our lives. Well, then he's not our king. More to it, if we sequester him in some little corner of our society and not declare him sovereign over every aspect of our society, we are not treating him as king. And of course, how common that last move is. Oh, sure, Jesus, very important. Oh, sure, in the religious corner of of my life or of our society, we take him seriously. But that's to sequester him. If he's king, that means he's lord over everything. He's dominus. and that's just the Latin rendering of curios, lord. But I like it because it, it has the overtone of domination appropriately. He's the dominus of every aspect of our lives. He's that or We're missing the point. So, let's get concrete about this, having made that point. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the king of your family life and of your sexual life? Well, a couple observations. It means, if I can use the language of John Paul II, you must treat everyone in your family as an end and never simply as a means best language that John Paul actually got from Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher. It means you never use anyone in your family. Now, look at families. An awful lot of the tension and difficulty comes precisely from this, whether it's parents using children, children using parents, brothers and sisters using each other. As means to an end, when you say, look, I've got something I want to accomplish, and I'll use a family member as a means to that, think of parents acting out their dreams and, and their aspirations and so on through their kids. Think of brothers and sisters, even well into adulthood, manipulating each other. To make Christ king of your family life means that everyone in your family is an end and never simply a means. That means they're a subject of infinite respect. And dignity. Remember that controversial statement? This is for married couples that John Paul made many years ago. They got him in hot water, but I don't know why. But he said, there can be rape even within a marriage. See, what he meant was, you know, a husband can aggress his wife, or even vice versa, even within marriage. That means treating your spouse as a means and not as an end. What else does it mean for Christ to be king of your family life, of your sexual life? Well, I think it does indeed mean that husbands and wives should be generous in regard to the number of children that they welcome into the world. Now, don't write me letters. I understand all the, all the factors that go into play here. The church, uh, as long as we use legitimate means, talks about regulating birth and all of that. I mean, so I have no quarrel with any of it. But let's just stay with the kind of overall idea that if Christ is the king, he's the Lord of your sexual life, of your family life, it means that your default position is one of generosity in regard to the number of children you welcome into the world. I think, you will know, go back to Humani Vitae, that much-controverted uh, letter of Paul VI. That's the fundamental point he's making, it seems to me, is this generosity in regard to children. Look in the Bible. One of the things we see very often is the command— be fruitful and multiply. In fact, at key moments in salvation history, God says that to Israel. It's almost like a, like a code that when you're properly linked to God, there's something fruitful about that. God likes big families. I think it's, it's hard to read the Bible and not come to that conclusion. Be fruitful, multiply. Your default position is generosity if Christ is the Lord of your family life, the Lord of your sexual life. Okay, what does it mean to say that Jesus is king, he's lord, dominus, of your professional life? See, don't play the game of, oh, this is my job, that has nothing to do with Jesus, he's what I do on Sunday. No, no, he's the king of everything. So what does it mean to say he's lord of your professional life? Well, it means if you're involved in a job that's fundamentally immoral in orientation or purpose, you've got to get out of it. So there are people that find themselves, for different reasons, involved in in work that's just morally problematic. Well, if Christ is king, you know, oh, I'm making a lot of money in this job. Well, I know, but if Christ is king, you can't be involved with that job. It means if your company is pursuing policies and strategies that are immoral, at the very least, you should raise your voice and protest. Don't play the game of, you know, public-private, religion's a private matter, this is my public life. No, no. Christ is Lord of your whole life, public and private. So if your company's involved in some policy or strategy that's uh, problematic, at the very least, raise your voice. It means, too, I think, that whenever you can, you bring your Christian faith to bear in the operation of your business or your corporation. Again, don't play the public-private thing. It means, I think, finally, you should, whenever possible, evangelize those around you. I've talked about um, having a symbol of the faith in your place of business. I've asked before, how many people at your uh, uh, office, at your place of business, know that you're a Catholic? How many know that you're Christian? Have you shared with your coworkers the joy that you found in Christ? It's not being aggressive. It's not being proselytizing in in that negative sense. It's sharing the joy you have in Christ. When people ask you questions about your faith, are you willing and able to answer them? These are all ways that you allow Christ to be the king of your professional life. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the king of your personal life? Well, it means that you should feel comfortable doing everything you do privately as though Christ were watching you. Now, I don't want that to sound creepy, but to me, it's a helpful image. Okay, if Christ is really king of my life, every aspect of my life, would I feel okay if he were right next to me as I'm doing everything I do in private? Would you feel comfortable with that? If not, he's not the king of your personal life. It means if you're involved in something egregiously immoral in your private life, you got to stop it now. You know, some people, all of us, I suppose, we're all sinners, put on a good public face, but there are things we do in private that we are ashamed of, that we know are wrong. What if Christ were right there with you all the time? If that makes you uneasy, he's not the king of your personal life. It also means you're in steady contact with Jesus through prayer. I remember years ago, my great hero, Robert Sokolowski, uh, I was a college seminarian just starting to pray the office. You know, I, I wasn't obliged yet to pray. I was just starting to learn it. And he made this comment that's always stayed with me, which was, if you claim that God is your friend, he's, he's the most important person in your life, well, how often do you talk to him? If you were to say, oh, yeah, so-and-so, boy, he's my best friend. How often do you talk to him? Oh, you know, once every six months. Well, he's not your best friend. So with prayer, oh, yeah, God is central to my life. Christ is the king of my life. How often do you talk to him? Oh, you know, maybe one on Sunday. or Actually, I don't go to Mass that often, so maybe once a month. Well, then he's not your he's not your best friend just by definition. Prayer, prayer, especially everybody, the great prayer of the church, which is the mass, the source and summit of the Christian life. As I've said, 75% of our Catholic brothers and sisters stay away from the mass. Well, if Christ is your king, mass is your life. It means, too, that you participate regularly in the sacraments of the church, especially confession of the Eucharist. What does it mean to say Christ is king of your mind? Well, it means you think deeply about the faith, that you take the time to read serious books about your faith. You know, a lot of people, oh, I never read anything. Well, we're a smart religion, Catholicism. We've always honored the life of the mind. Christ is king of your mind? Then you want to you know, read about him, study him, think about him. It means that you're an effective apologist when people attack the church. Are you able to defend it? It means you don't waste a lot of your mental energy on trivia and superficiality. You're comfortable searching out the deep things of God. You know, and I've said this before, everybody, but it means you are not satisfied with a grade school level formation in your faith. Would you be satisfied if your knowledge of literature or history or science or economics remained at a sixth grade level? I bet you wouldn't be. But an awful lot of people seem satisfied to stay at a sixth grade level in the investigation of the faith. Trust me when I tell you that treasures await you if you give your mind over to Christ. How about finally, what does it mean to say that Christ is king of your body? Well, it means you treat your body with respect. You don't abuse it through alcohol or drugs or excessive eating or drinking. It means you practice temperance, to use that classical language. It means you're committed to being as physically fit as you can, so you can carry out the mission Christ gave you. It means you take the resurrection of the body seriously. Christ is Lord of everything, spirit, mind, yeah, but body too. Last thought, don't think the spiritual life's a democracy. Don't think we can vote Jesus in or out. We don't surround him with checks and balances. We don't make him subject to our whims and passing moods. Like it or not, everybody, he's not a president or a prime minister or a general secretary. He's king. When that fact sinks in, everything in our lives changes. And God bless you.